Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Mark Bowden is a journalist and author of many books. They include Black Hawk Down, A Story of Modern War. You remember the book? You remember the movie? The Battle of Mogadishu in early October 1993 shocked most Americans. U.S. forces had been deployed to Somalia to support a U.N. humanitarian mission and had helped end a famine, saving hundreds of thousands of lives. Ten months later, there was pitched street fighting in Mogadishu, 18 dead American soldiers and more than a thousand Somali casualties. And the horror replayed over and over on TV of American bodies being dragged through the streets by angry mobs. Mark wrote those words for the New York Times in a guest essay that's in all of my social media right now. It turns out there was more to this story. This is Mark Bowden. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for coming back to the program. So there were two generals, right, who had responsibility commanding U.S. forces in Mogadishu. Well, Michael, it's a pleasure always to talk to you. And uh, in fact, there were a number of generals, but there were two two-star generals or major generals in Mogadishu at that time. Tell me about them. Well, David Meade uh, was a major general who was in command of the 10th Mountain Division, which was the bulk of the um, peacekeeping force that the UN had put up, which included Malaysians and Pakistanis, and which actually answered to a uh, to a foreign general ultimately and then there was general major general bill garrison who was in charge of delta force the army's uh, special operations unit and he had a separate mission also in mogadishu it's general meade that prompted you to write this new essay and a discovery that was made after his passing tell us that story well, the, as everyone knows, the, the American mission in Somalia uh, ended up in this climactic battle, uh, which is 30 years ago this week, uh, which is what I wrote about in Black Hawk Down. But General Meade um, wrote a memo to the Army Chief of Staff about a week 
before that battle took place, predicting that it would happen, and I think correctly predicting that if it did happen, it would probably collapse the mission and end up basically returning to Malia to anarchy. You didn't know when you wrote Black Hawk Down that this memo existed. Did you have any suspicion of what his sentiments had been? None at all. Uh, No one knew, really, because other than the recipients of his secret memo, uh, which he declassified himself uh, before he retired, uh, and he gave the memo to a good friend, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Crone, who stored it in a safe. And Crone told me he had never even read it until a short few months ago when he was cleaning out his safe. He opened it up and read it, and he was surprised. Uh, that his old friend had so correctly predicted what was going to happen. Mark, everything I know about declassifying documents I've learned from Donald Trump, so you better set me straight. When you say that he declassified this document, what does that mean? How did he do it? Well, he was the commanding general of the 10th Mountain Division, and so he was responsible ultimately for classified uh, information from his command. And so he had, he's the one who actually classified his memo to the Army Chief of Staff, classified it as secret. So he was in a command position to declassify it himself. So one of the, the two major generals commanding U.S. forces in Mogadishu, just weeks before it all goes to hell in a handbasket, sends this memo to the Army Chief of Staff. I'm going to read from it. Here is the report I promised. We have a war going on in Somalia. From a tactical and maybe operational perspective, it is not going well. Mogadishu is not under our control. Somalia is full of danger. The momentum and boldness of a deed, you'll explain who that is, are of the prime concern. The trend lines are in the wrong direction. Thus, the mission overall and the security of U.S. forces are threatened. Who's he making yes, reference to? He He's making reference to Mohammed Farah Idid, who was the Klan leader who was resisting U.N. efforts to build a coalition government in Somalia. And so General Garrison's unit, the Delta Force unit, which was called Task Force Ranger, had been sent to Mogadishu basically to remove Idid, either kill him or capture him, and take him out of the city and basically dismantle his organization so that the U.N. mission could proceed. So both uh, Meade and Garrison had responsibility for forces in Mogadishu. Garrison's mission was to go after ID. Uh, uh, Meade's uh, position was, or his command was supposed to basically help the UN further the, uh, the efforts to create this coalition government. How customary, how normal to send a memo to the army Chief of Staff. Is that is that the protocol? Is that the drill? I'm kind of struggling for my words because I'm, I'm trying to be precise in military terms. Yeah, well, you don't really need to be precise. Yes, it was a leak. He, he had a chain of command, which he ignored, and he mm. sent this directly to the top-ranking officer of the Army, which is the kind of thing that can ruin your career. I don't know exactly whether that was the thing that torpedoed Meade's career, but he never was promoted again, and he retired like five years later. So uh, it's, I think, reasonable to conclude that taking this step was something that was harmful to his hopes for advancement. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Spring? 
Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Mark, what is it that General Meade had seen that caused him to write or send this cable? He saw that IDEED's forces, which were basically just a civilian militia, heavily armed, was getting better and better at quickly responding whenever U.S. forces moved out in the city. So he had witnessed his own men almost being trapped by some of IDEED's forces and realized that it was getting worse and it probably wasn't going to get better. And very soon, any group of American soldiers who went on a mission out into the city were likely to encounter uh, a level of resistance that they would have a difficult time overcoming. I began by asking about the two generals. So General Meade, one of the two-star generals who is commanding U.S. forces in Mogadishu, sends this cable, and then a couple of weeks later, it's the other general, correct me if I'm wrong, it's General Garrison, who launches a raid, and that becomes the stuff, sadly, of your book, Black Hawk Down. That's right. And General Garrison uh, was proceeding with his mission. I don't know that he was even aware of uh, what Meade had written, uh, but he was probably aware that more conventional forces in the Army would have regarded the missions that he and his men were launching to be too risky. Yeah, you anticipated my next question, which was, did, did Garrison know what Meade knew? And your presumption is that he did. 
Well, I think he knew in general. Uh, but then, on the other hand, you know, Delta Force it was stood up and existed to to perform difficult, risky missions more more so than the conventional forces that were commanded by General Meade. So it probably would not have come as a surprise to Garrison that someone like Meade would think that what he was doing was something that uh, was going to lead to trouble. Here's here's something you wrote very recently in recapping all this. A few weeks later, that prediction came true. General Garrison launched his seventh raid, which was the subject of my book, Black Hawk Down. Two of Mr. Adid's top lieutenants were arrested, but the raiders soon came under withering assault from all directions. Massed rocket-propelled grenade fire brought down four Black Hawk helicopters, only two of which managed to limp safely to the task force's base. The other two crashed in the city, requiring immediate rescue, splashing the firefight across the city. The battle raged for 18 hours until a large armored U.N. convoy, including General Meade's men and Pakistani and Malaysian armored vehicles, fought its way to the, to the surrounded Americans. Uh, we remember reading your lengthy description of that and also watching it on the, the big screen. So what, what became of, of the two generals after what transpired in Mogadishu? What happened to their careers? Both of their careers ended. Uh, General Garrison um, resigned, uh, or, or, and I think that uh, General Meade did not resign, but he served out his tenure as commander of the 10th Mountain Division and then retired because he had not been promoted further. You make uh, reference to the fact that, you know, oftentimes in history, there's someone who provides guidance or a warning that uh, maybe is overlooked, but but maybe is is overruled. Will you speak to that issue? Yeah, I think that, you know, some of the people who have read this memo, including my friend, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Crone, are of the opinion that Meade had a better take on what was going on and that his advice should have been heeded. Uh, I think it's actually more nuanced than that. Um, Very often in the past, terrible surprises or tragedies that occur, like Pearl Harbor, for instance, um, are things that some people foresaw, uh, that many other people dismissed as unlikely or uh, considered whatever the risk involved in in a situation was to be worth taking. So in retrospect, you can nearly always find someone who foresaw what was going to happen and was ignored at the time. Right. Does it, it doesn't, in other words, it, it, there's a temptation to say, oh, my God, they should have listened to the guy. If only, if only they had listened to this memo, this cable from General Meade, then there wouldn't have been that catastrophe. But that might not necessarily be the case. That's right. And I think you also have to, in fairness, put yourself in the position, let's say, General Sullivan, who at that point was chairman uh, of the chief of staff of the Army. Um, He's getting two different outlooks on the situation from two generals who have the same rank and the same level, basically, of experience. And he has to make a choice. And I think that he made a reasonable choice. General Garrison's mission was achieving success. It was known to be risky, riskier than General Meade was was willing to support. But um, I think, you know, you make a judgment call. In this case, I think the urgency of trying to capture Idid and remove him from the equation was very tempting. And I think that General Garrison believed 
that he could accomplish it. And this cable was just sitting in a safe. And when it was cleaned out by his buddy, then all of a sudden you were alerted to it. That's right. I, I knew nothing about it. And I just thought it was interesting. The 30th yeah. anniversary of this battle oh, yeah. is this week. And so I thought, you know, this is a piece of information that I didn't know that I found interesting. So I thought I would share it. Final question, and thanks for being gracious with your time. Did you speak in writing Black Hawk Down with either Meade or Garrison? I am not able to answer that question, Michael, but thank you for wow. asking. Wow, okay, interesting. Uh, and if you had not spoken to one or the other, which would you not have spoken to? <laughs> hey, Mark, that was Mark. No. That was really, really insightful. What a story. What a sad, sad story. You kind of bring back all the, the memories of this chapter, and I, I think it's important that we do that. So thank you for that. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate your interest. That's Mark Bowden. He's the author of Black Hawk Down and a heck of a lot of other books that I, I recommend. Um, can I just amplify one point? Because you read it, you hear the story. It was well told by Mark, not only in the book and, and in the movie, but also. Was that Ridley Scott, by the way? Can you look up and uh, who directed Black Hawk Down? I remember seeing I remember seeing Black Hawk Down when the when the movie came out. Was it Ridley Scott? Ooh, you're good. Yes. Uh, I'm not that good, but I'm as good once as well. Anyway, I, ever I remember mm-hmm. uh, seeing it in uh, uh, Maniac. It just like stands out. It was, yeah, that theater oh, in yeah. Maniac, right? It was just such a powerful and disturbing movie yeah. to to watch. I saw um, Brokeback Mountain at that theater. Did you? Was yeah. that powerful and disturbing? or was It was, <laughs> was something. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, shouldn't make light of such tragedy in terms of what happened in Mogadishu. But I want to just make this observation because... You know, you you hear Mark tell it and you read the story and by all means, it's in my social media and you say, oh, my gosh, they should have listened. If only they had listened to this guy. But then he writes this. If I can just share a paragraph. History affords many examples of such unheeded warnings. So many that it illustrates a significant point. Few tragedies are ever wholly unforeseen. In early 1941, U.S. Ambassador to Japan, Joseph Grew, cabled Washington to warn of a surprise mass attack on Pearl Harbor. The economist Roger Babson famously predicted an imminent stock market crash in September of 1929, just weeks before Black Tuesday. Such predictions stand out only in retrospect. They were, at the time, outliers. Many experts thought in 1941 that an attack on Pearl Harbor was improbable, if not impossible, and plenty of economists foresaw easy sailing for the stock market in 1929. That's why the events came as a surprise, not because no one could see them coming, but because men like Mr. Grew and Mr. Babson were outnumbered by equally qualified forecasters. In his best-selling book, The Big Short, Michael Lewis provides... A handful of uh, profiles, pardon me, a handful of investors who foresaw the collapse of the U.S. housing market in 2008 shifted their portfolios accordingly and cashed out with billions when it occurred. Most people didn't. In September 1993, General Meade's outlook was competing with General Garrison's. And even in hindsight, it's not obvious that his judgment was superior. General Garrison had more combat experience. He believed his men were succeeding and continued believing it even after the October 3rd to 4th battle. So there you go. The events of, uh, of, of Mogadishu, the Battle of Mogadishu, 
uh, 30 years ago this week. 30 years ago this week. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. There are many examples in history of unheeded warnings like that which we now know preceded the events in Mogadishu. A couple of callers want to add to that list. Jerry, what what do you have from Montville, New Jersey? Where, Where else has there been an example of an unheeded warning? Well, it may not have been an unheeded warning as much as Harry Truman holding up a newspaper indicating that he lost, Mm -hmm. Dewey won, and of course, uh, that was one of the great unbelievable upsets that had no uh, prognostication believing it could possibly happen. I'm not sure if it's apples to apples, but it's a uh, nice historical reference nonetheless. Hello, Frank, in New York, in... Peekskill, hi. Hey, hey, Michael. I had a question, a quick question about the, the memo that yeah. uh, Bowden had suggested. I hope, hope uh, I can answer it. The memo it. that yeah. Meade wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, well, maybe not, uh, because you have the whole memo in front of you, I'd imagine. But I do. You, you said that um, 
you started your first excerpt with as promised me writing who is he who is he promising it to and if he was promising it to the general who he jumped the chain of command for then why would he have gotten in trouble for it wow look at you i mean you're i have the thing in my hands and I read it aloud, and that didn't even occur to me. You're listening as you're, like, yeah, driving like in that, your... Huh? Yeah. <laughs> that occurred to me immediately when, when I heard that he got in trouble for that. I was like, well, who was it promised? Who did he promise it to? That is a really... I'm almost tempted to call Bowden back and say, Mark, can I just share with you the perspective of Frank from Peekskill, New York? Frank, I, you've raised a wonderful yeah. issue that I don't know the answer to, but I'm, I'm looking at it in my hands. And indeed, here is the report I promised. And then, you know, everything follows. Right, and, now, let, me, let me just look at this because right. it's, it's, it's not all, in the... F- okay, sure. Yeah. I, I was going to yeah, say was it's not in... I hoping that you would, you would, you would take questions. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at uh, it's not in the form that I as an attorney are, are accustomed to where it's like, you know, right. to Frank and Peekskill from Michael in Philadelphia. Right. But what I'm looking at is it says, you know, at a certain point secret. And then it says M.G. Meade, Commander 10th Mountain Division. And then underneath it says General Sullivan. That would be uh, Sullivan, the uh, Army Chief of Staff. And then it has the names of other individuals below it so yes your your observation i think is a keen insight he had apparently promised that there was going to be this level of follow-up so thanks for that i don't know i don't know the answer but your this audience never never disappoints let me just see what bowden wrote on this point general meade considered his message so urgent that he contravened the chain of command sending it directly to general gordon sullivan the army chief of staff this was a serious faux pas Indeed, not long after, General Meade's career stalled at age 53. He may have been right, but no further promotion came. He retired two years later. Mike, you're in Boston. What did you most want to say? Hi, there's a really interesting video of Biden from uh, pre-election in an appearance uh, such as a town meeting or something or town hall saying that we cannot pull out of Afghanistan overnight because it will leave uh, piles of weapons and it will take us a year to safely pull out of there um, without any jeopardy. Um, so we kind of predicted, you know, the same thing that happened. So he did not heed his own He did not heed his own warning. Overnight at that point um, when he actually did, but he predicted his own disaster. Got it. Uh, thank you, sir. Ian, Ian, in Toronto, relative to Mogadishu, on the 30th anniversary of the week that it happened, what did you want to say? Yes. Um, what I would like to say is most people are looking, uh, when they were watching that movie, uh, looking from one side or having emotions of from one side. For me, um, of course, the movie was sad. Uh, I didn't like what happened to, um, you know, everybody involved. But um, it was my city, the city that I grew up with in 15 years. And what I was seeing was so horrible. And uh, I was really, really saddened. Um, And I'm not sure if anything good came out of that, unfortunately. I think there were other... other instances in the world uh, stage that uh, America tried to 
Um, hopefully they were trying to do good, but it didn't work out from Iraq to so many other places. So I'm hoping that chapter of Americans getting involved in uh, other countries' uh, internal disputes are, are coming to an end. So listen, I, I, I understand your sentiment, and I share much of it. There is a part of me that wonders if events hadn't gone so tragically wrong 30 years ago, might the direction of Somalia have remained more peaceful than it has been for the last 30 years? I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's been horrible. It is horrible. And this is more of the reason that I'm saying that event only did not, was not, it's not the result of why Somalia is the way it is. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's a lot that the West do not understand uh, within the fights and the tribal mentality that's happening there. Um, Even I myself, who grew up in Canada, I don't think I can go there and get used to how things have been. Uh, I remember, I remember the uh, the beach. My father taking us to the beach, peace, going to school, and what I see now has nothing to do with how I grew up and what this country used to be. So Understood. it's sad all around. Yeah, it's sad all around. And on that note, Ian, thank yes. you so much for your phone call. I, I do appreciate it. Paul has a. A good observation. Go ahead, Paul. I, I'll let you make it. It occurred to me as I'm sitting here, but the spotlight is yours. Uh, I just wanted to say that it's easy in retrospect to say, gee, we should have paid attention to this one. But there may have been 15 other memos uh, that we shouldn't have done. Who knows what? D-Day. We shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't have done right. that. And yeah. they just go back. And, and thank goodness they were discounted for whatever reason. Yeah, history's complicated. Okay, well done, Paul. Thank you for that. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. <laughs> 